Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Andy, it's welcome to another episode of Rider on the Road. Uh, I've had a conversation with this wonderful man before we even start, and I've got to tell you that we got stuck as, at happy hour. So I'm talking to the wonderful Nigel Collin of the Game of Inches fame. Uh, good afternoon, Nigel. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Happy hour. Happy mm, hour. It's happy hour. We're both sitting here with our mugs of um, coffee, only he doesn't know that mine's got wine in it and he's probably really drinking coffee. Uh, I'd like to start our story, Nigel, if it's okay with you. I, Because I am a storyteller, I like to start at the high point of any story and I've already forewarned Nigel of this. We're moving our way out to the Daily Waters pub and happy hour. Uh, Nigel, uh, as a businessman, as a storyteller, as a speaker, I'd like to hand over to you and get you to tell us all about the success story that is the Daily Waters Pub. It's, you know what, it's probably the most famous, non-famous place in Australia. And I stumbled upon it virtually by accident. I didn't know the Daily Waters Pub existed until a mate of mine in Alice Springs said, are you visiting the Daily Waters Pub? And it's this little pub. It's been around since the eighteen hundreds. Not as a pub, but it's it was a uh, it was a guest house originally on a on a Stockland Stockman's route. Uh, but it's off the beaten track. It's in the middle of nowhere, literally. It's between Catherine and Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory. Uh, literally hundreds of kilometres either direction. There's nothing, and it's off the main road. So you could easily drive past the turn off and never know it's there. But when you go to the Delhi Waters Pub, it's it's an experience. It's like an adventure. The place is uh, is famous because people flock to it on any given evening. Uh, you know whether it's wet season, dry season, whether you've heard of the Delhi Waters Pub or not. On any given evening, there's somewhere around 250 people having a great time at this place, and rightly so. It's it's full of characters. It's you know what's really interesting. It has it's almost the iconic outback pub that you see in movies. In fact, it's featured in quite a few movies. And and I say that because when you travel around the country, as you know, you come across these roadhouses and these places that kind of theme themselves up to look as we expect them to look. You know, it's almost like they're, it's not that they're disgenuine or anything, but they kind of make the effort of looking like an Outback pub. The Daly Waters is the Outback pub, and I'm pretty sure that most places model after it. And, you know, hanging off the ceilings are people's T-shirts and underwear and caps that they've left there as they visit. And the idea is that you'll come back and, revisit your cap and I've got a cap hanging up in the ceiling somewhere in the Daly Waters pub so it's an experience you know it's it's one of those places that that you probably don't know exist but so many people do you know and it's (laughs) you know what it's like it's a bit like going to Disneyland you know if you've ever been to Disneyland you can sort of say to someone you can look at someone and go 
isn't it great? And you, you have this bonding that you've both been there and you get it. You, you can't describe it, you get it. And the Daly Waters pub is like that. When you meet someone who's been, you don't have to say anything. You just go, ah, the Daly Waters pub. And instantly, as, as all good visions, instantly this vision comes into your brain which triggers off these wonderful experiences and memories. It is, it, it is unique and it is uh, it's just a great experience. I've used that word. I've overused the word because I don't know any other word to describe it. Yeah, and I'm having a bit of a chuckle, and any of our travellers out there will have a bit of a chuckle, chuckle, <laughs> chuckle as well. I've been to the uh, Daily Waters pub, and there are a lot of, I guess, similar pubs out there that don't have the reputation but they still have that authentic feel um i'm thinking of the quamby pub outside Cloncurry, and nearby there's a um one where a donkey goes up and drinks water at the uh, sorry drinks beer at the bar um it's just um part and part and there's humpty doo which is another experience again (laughs) yeah humpty doo's up near darwin everybody uh the reason i'm excited to have nigel on today and the reason i'll get to reminisce about everywhere i've ever been is nigel had a little project and if you'd like to tell us about that project nigel it might make sense to our listeners why we're going to do a trip around australia yeah, yeah, good one. Uh, so I grew up in a creative sector. I was uh, a creative director in the business events industry and I would create shows and that sort of thing. And and I used to get really upset when people would say to me, oh, my ideas aren't any good, I'm not very creative. And as Australians, we're pretty good at putting ourselves down. And so I had this wave, brainwave. Um, actually, it wasn't really a brainwave, but I had this idea of, you know, if you, if you just head out into Australia, you will come across the most amazingly creative, incredibly smart people. You know, there's clever people all over this country doing incredible stuff. And unfortunately, through media or whatever, we only hear about the leviathans or the celebrities of innovation or creativity or whatever that is. So I basically had this idea to jump on my motorbike and ride around the country, just me, my bike, and a video camera, and as I met people, uh, would interview them and tell their stories. And and the idea was by sharing stories of just everyday people who have done pretty cool stuff, it would inspire other people to kind of go, you know what, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to write a book or I've always wanted to be an artist and just inspire people to pursue their ideas. And, and that was the original intent. Uh, what happened? Uh, was much more than that. As I travelled around the country, I was inspired by so many different people and came back with probably the biggest business lesson I, I ever have had in my life. Um, so it wasn't so many, so much the many places I visited. Uh, it was the people attached to those places and their their mindset, their attitude, what they've achieved. Um, you know, a whole concoction of lessons came from it. Um, so it wasn't just the experience of, of traveling around visiting these great places. When you talk to people, uh, it's incredible the stories you hear and how that can change you. Yeah. And I called the project Ingenious Oz Project uh, under the premise that we are an ingenious country. We're more ingenious than we give ourselves credit for. Uh, and it's sort of still lurking away there in the background. 
Yeah, I first came across this very idea of everybody having a story to tell, and you may remember it, Nigel. It was called it was a show called Australia All Over with Macca, mm. um, and it used to be on every Sunday morning. And he'd get the truckers, he'd get all sorts of people calling in and talking about the things that were happening and our characters that are out there living their lives in a way that I guess people who are out there only uh, know how to do. I notice in your book, The Game of Inches, uh, you talk about these guys. You talk about the these guys in the outback being very innovative, in a, in a, uh, inventive. <laughs> Where'd that <laughs> word come from? Yeah, innovative. Oh, I got it out, innovative. Uh, and the idea is that um, they don't have the resources, so they have to be resourceful. Yeah, and Dally Waters Pub is the perfect example of that. So one of the interesting things, you know, having a, a business background, um, you know, one of the interesting things, people often think they can't be innovative or creative because they don't have the resources. They don't have the money. They don't have the materials. They don't have the mentors. Uh, that, whatever it is, that, that scarcity uh, inhibits people from being innovative and creative. Um, and it's it's absolute bunk. You know, it's completely the opposite. And, and what's wonderful, the, the Northern Territory, although it's only 2% of the population of this country, has some of the most innovative ideas going on. Um, and one of the reasons for it is when you're in the middle of nowhere, you have to get creative. You, you have to be innovative if you want to get things done. And the Daly Waters pub is such a great idea, you know, because they are in the middle of nowhere. And so they make their own tables and chairs out of old pallets from when they get deliveries. Um, and they're not just like pallets. They actually make these beautiful tables, wooden tables crafted, but out of materials they have lying around. And I remember asking the owner at the time, her name was Robin, uh, you know, what do you do when your washing machine breaks down? Because you're in the middle of nowhere. And she basically said, you know, we go to Mitre 3. I went, what, what's Mitre 3? And she went, the tip. You know, you, you go to the tip and you find what's available and you make the most of it. And and the other thing, so, so basically, yeah, scarcity, uh, you know, the lack of resources puts you into a position where you have to be innovative. You, you really don't have a choice. And as a result of that, uh, many innovations, you know, that old cliche mother, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's why. And I interviewed the the mayor of Alice Springs, a guy called Damien Ryan, who said, you know, remoteness instigates inventiveness. And I love that. Uh, there's some really interesting, oh, I could talk forever about, you know, uh, innovation in the Northern Territory, but uh, you, you're absolutely right. I think there is a mindset out there that, you know, in order to create, in you know, in order to, for example, to write, that we need the the newest MacBook, or you know, we have to uh, we have to get all of our storyboards organised, and you know, I need oh, I need to do some more interviews, and you know, we keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until we've got everything lined up perfectly. And the truth of the matter is, everything will never be lined up perfectly, and and if you just start. It's amazing what you'll create. Whether or not you've got resources is irrelevant. Yeah, and I think that's one of the key things in in Nigel's book, Game of Inches, which is why small change wins big results, is you need to start and you need to just take one step at a time, refining things as you go. Uh, and as authors, uh, I think we get a little bit 
I guess, overwhelmed by this whole idea of being business people as well as authors. Uh, Nigel's here to help us today. He's here to help us. He's got this wonderful four-step method, um, find a gap, take action, test and measure, and delete or improve. Uh, it's it's an amazing process. I have the book on my desk. Uh, Nigel and I were talking five minutes ago and he says, I think there's a lot of people who have got it on their desk because uh, you can just open it up and find that inspiration and I've put a lot of that on Instagram as I, as I come across, across various pages. Nigel, would you like to help me and my fellow indie authors out and tell us that it's okay to be business people and learn as we go? Yeah, um, look, absolutely. And, and let me just kind of slide into that um you know having grown up in in a creative industry of business events uh you know i used to think it was always about the big idea and i used to believe that that if it wasn't done in its entirety it wasn't worth even looking at and as i traveled around the country i learned that i was completely wrong but what's important is just to begin and and to start and when you talk to creative people and when you talk to writers um, and you and you talk to business people, it really is just a matter of starting because when you start, you gain momentum. And when you start, you learn as you go. And, you know, the only way you can learn is by doing. Uh, in, I mean, we need we need the, the strategies. We need to understand the rules of the game. You know, we, we need to learn the craft of writing. You know, I've spent years um, – it's interesting. I spent years trying to learn how to be a great writer and it wasn't until, you know, I actually got my head into a book and wrote it and started writing it that, that I really learned. You know, the three months of writing that book, I learned more than I have in, you know, 10 years. So it is it is okay, I think, to just start wherever you are and understand that it is a process, but you will learn by doing. And when you make mistakes, you learn from your mistakes. And, and I think, I don't know, our society just has this thing about it's got to be perfect before I begin. No, you just got to start. Um, and it's the one thing, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, when you study, not just creative people, but anyone who's had success in any kind of endeavour, what you see is they're just really good at getting stuff done. They're just good at starting. And it doesn't matter where they are, they, they just begin. There's, a, there's a, a Zen story I've put in the book, which... I'm always talking about because um, I love it to pieces about a, a businessman who wanted to live on the third floor, wanted a, a house on the third floor because back in ancient China that was very high status and you could look over the land and over the peasants. And so he commissioned some builders to build him a third floor home and he went off in his business travels. And when he came back, to his dismay, they were still working on the first floor and he sacked them. And they went, why, why are you unhappy? And he went, because I didn't want – I don't want the first floor. I just want the third floor. Build me a third floor. And the builders are like, well, we have to build you the first floor. And he's, I don't want the first floor. And it's a great, it's a great story because it illustrates it so often. We just want to get the book finished and have it on the bookshelf and have it perfect. But the reality of it is we've got to start wherever we are. And if we haven't started, then we've got to start. We've just got to do page one before we can get to page 794. So, uh, yeah, I think it is it is a very important lesson. And the other thing that you mentioned or, or that you spoke about there was, you know, writing is a business. And it is a business. Um, you know, it, it, writing is a business, and it's a business from a number of perspectives, the reason I think this. Firstly, um, 
I believe it is a financial business. If you're going to be a writer, you need to support yourself. Uh, and unless you're part-time, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, but there's something wonderful about getting commissioned to do a work, to have an article in a magazine or to, to finish a book and, and to see someone, you know, uh, to, to get an email from someone going, hey, that's a wonderful book. And, you know, there is that commercial viability to it that inspires us to keep going. Um, I think writing, uh, writing with a non-financial element is still a business. I think we should take the money out of it sometimes and go, it is a business. You need to sit down and structure yourself into how you're going to write. You need to go, what is my objective here? What am I actually trying to achieve? What's the purpose of writing? Is it just because uh, it's good for my soul or, or do I want other people to read it or do I want to get published in a magazine or do I want to inspire a particular audience? Whatever that is, there must be, I believe, some kind of objective as to, to, to why you're writing what you're writing. And from that point of view, it's a business. So there is the financial side of it, sure, but there's a lot of really great writers out there. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be about the money, but I think it does have to be a business in how you approach it and how you think about it. Otherwise, nothing gets done. Yeah. Um, you're just kind of throwing stuff around and, and it never – you know, there's something there's – something, let me be really honest with you. I love the romantic notion of writing a book. It is just the most beautiful uh, thing of like, wow, how, how, how wonderful to write a book. The actual doing of it, for me anyway, um, and I know there's other people who don't fall into this category, but for me, it's a chore. You know, the actual writing, the reality of writing a book is so different to the, the romance or the notion of writing a book. And so I had to treat it as a business. You know, I needed the contract to get it done because it never would have been finished. It never would have got done had I not had the pressure of a deadline and a publisher over my shoulder going, we need this by December 4, whatever it was. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it is a business. Uh, it has to – or you just, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and, and I, I think uh, we've taken it one step further as well because not only are we writers and as independent publishers or self-publishers, we have to create a whole business model around that. And so I'm finding myself delving more and more into the business world as I get my head around it so that I can share my knowledges with others. So we're talking, you know, I've got the podcast, I'm, I'm about to launch an online course for teenagers. And it's interesting what you say, Nigel, because the very first module in my course for my teenagers is um, finding your why. And you've just covered that beautifully. Yeah, look, it's it's the one thing that, that will – and you know what's interesting that you're saying that because it, the why is one thing that will get you through all the hardship and challenge. And let's be really honest about this. If you're going to be a writer, you're going to have moments of I'm going to give this up. There will be challenges. There will be times when you throw your computer against the wall type of thing. Um, and But it's that knowing, it's that passion, that burn, that drive that gets you through those challenges. You know, if you have a publisher knock you back, and you're not completely driven and don't believe in what you're doing, it's very easy to go, oh, that's the end of that. I've had enough. You know, I can't take the rejection. Um, I was re I was reading, I'm reading a great book at the moment called Grit by Angela Duckworth. And uh, I can't remember his name. She's talking about a cartoonist and very similar, writers and cartoonists. And he was talking about how do you get published? How do you get your work commissioned? He's a, a cartoonist for The New Yorker. I cannot remember his name. But he basically said, you've got to keep going. You've got to just keep plugging away uh, because, and this is, this is the great part of it, he goes, 
because cartooning, and we'll replace that with writing, cartooning is just like life. Nine out of ten times it's going to go to hell. And I just think, isn't that brilliant? And But the one way that you get through that is by knowing why you do what you do, having this passion. And anyone, here's a challenge for everybody listening. When you come across someone, not just a writer, but anyone who's achieved anything of any level of success, ask them what drives them. And you will find there's be very little hesitation. You know, people who achieve things, people who complete the book, uh, they know what's driving them. They know why. And that's what gets them up at six o'clock. And, and that's what makes them disciplined enough between six and eight to do nothing but write. That's what disciplines them, you know, that when they get the letter of rejection to send it off to another publisher. Oh. It's, it's knowing why you do what you do. That's, that's what gets them through these moments. And this is my own personal experience. I'm never going to nail this writing thing. It's not, it's not part of my soul. Um, but if you really have a burning passion, you will learn to write. You can get yourself a writing mentor. You know, you can you can practice and practice and practice and practice, and over time you will become a writer. And and it's that it's knowing why that gets you through all of that stuff. Plus, on top of that, that's what makes it so beautiful. You know, when you really want something, when you really want a desire to write, and you do. It's just a great sense of achievement. You feel good. It's good for the soul. You know, if you're just doing it for the hell of it, it's not quite the same thing as when you're doing it because you have to do it. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, – yeah, in business, a lot of people talk about why and having purpose, and it's. I think it's often pushed aside as another one of those business kind of, you know, motivational kind of things. Oh, knowing why, yes, that's all very Anthony Robbins kind of stuff. But you know what? It's, 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 I think, probably one of the elements that we don't, we don't give enough attention to and if we miss it or we don't have it or we don't search for it, then we don't get as far along the track as we could have. Mm. I really like this guy, everybody. Uh, if anybody's looking for my, at my Story Slingers course in the first module, I want you to know that they're my words and not um, Nigel's there because he's just paraphrased me. Um, but talking to him now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Get, you're spoiling my copyright. Go away. <laughs> yeah, oh, dear, there's another email in the morning. <laughs> but listening to this man, I've got the privilege of seeing him as well as hearing him and the passion in his face. And as he speaks, you can hear it in his voice. He genuinely adores this stuff uh, and it's something that I didn't expect Nigel I've got to tell you that I've been delving a little Thanks. bit as I said into the business world and I hear a lot of this business speak and I saw a bit of it at the conference although I saw a bit of passion as well and I saw some of the businessy type words in your book and I thought oh my gosh I've got to adapt my style to have all this business talk and when you were coming on today I said to my boys I said oh I said I don't know if I'm businessy enough and I'm listening to your talk and I thought you're just one of us yeah here's <laughs> the th yeah look um and I had that same thing you know I I uh you know I've got access to to some of the most brilliant business minds of this country and I've interviewed many of them uh and, and that's I've been very fortunate for that opportunity but there are times when I'm in the same boat, you know, uh, we think, God, but at the end of the day, right, business isn't hard. It's actually quite simple. Actually, I'll say that again. Business is simple, it's not, it, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to get it going, and I think we put a lot of blocks. But at the end of the day, business is it's, it's like writing. You know, the actual starting it and doing it isn't that complex, but the grudge work that goes along with it can be quite daunting. 
And, uh, you know, the, I interviewed a guy called Sudhir Warrior who owns um, uh, cruise liners in Sydney Harbour, Sydney Showboats. And, and he's, he's an Indian uh, culturally by background. And he said to me, you know, there's a, there's a saying that we have in India that if someone's at the door of your shop and they're not throwing money at you, then you don't have a business. And you can kind of get a bit freaked out by that. But when you think about it, you know, that's the essence of business. And this is why you mentioned the process earlier of, of find a gap, take action are the first two steps. And, and it is definitely a, a sequence. And, and by that, you know, what is finding the gap? Finding a gap is finding out what it is that people want to buy. What will they throw money at you for? And if we're going to look at writing as a business, we have to kind of think, you know, is what I'm writing going to be something that people will want to read? Is it going to be of use? Uh, is it going to be of value? Uh, because otherwise they're not going to buy your books. Now, if you have the purpose of writing just for the sake of writing, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's not a business. But business is pretty simple. You've just got to find something that people want to buy and then you've got to build it. In other words, write it, which is the take action bit, and, and that's it. I think we complicate it too much. There's a lot of little nuances. It's a bit like golf. You can learn it in a day, take a years to master. It we shouldn't takes, be daunted by that. We just start where we are and we learn step by step. Yeah, I don't think you ever learn golf. I think I think we just I continue. Yeah, we continue putting our balls in the river, and that's the way it's going to be. I, uh, I, had, no, I had no passion <laughs> for golf. Yeah, look, there's so many directions this um, interview can go, and I know when I was researching it, I just had to stop because you get to overwhelm, and that's something that um, Nigel mentions in his book. You've just got to stop at some stage and jump right in. Uh, and I'm looking at my pages of notes here, and I'm. Going, okay, I'll just jump right in because there is so much wonderful, wonderful stuff in it. <laughs> uh, now, I hope I'm pronounce, pronouncing this correctly, but it's Simon Reynolds is your yes. mentor. And what yes. Simon's got a wonderful quote in the book, and it says, we must completely commit to constant improvement. Uh, that philosophy over time, combined with the philosophy of aiming high, is pretty much all you need to succeed in business and in life. The rest is just detail. Mm. Uh, so that was that mm. was my starting point uh, in researching that today, and I think that's exactly what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I um, Simon for me is one of the most brilliant minds in this country, although he now lives in America. Um, but, but yeah, insane business mind and built an enormous organisation, so he knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, it's it's funny when we talk about. Um, this hankering for constant improvement, you know, of waking up every day going, how can I do this better? How can I be better at this? What can I learn today? And it is a step-by-step -step process. And in a weird way, it, it's, it sounds like a contradiction to aim high and yet be obsessed by constant improvement. And, and a lot of people go, oh, they don't make sense. But it does because you're not going to improve something constantly. You're not going to want to be a better writer and improve your storytelling or or, 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 you know, improve your linguistic abilities unless you have a high goal or reason to do that. Um, and so what Simon's referring to there is, is we need to aim high in order to accomplish things, in order to get, to get things that, we is important, that are important to us done. But that's not enough. You, you know, it's one thing to have a big goal, but you've actually got to make it happen. And so to get there, it's a constant effort of just improving everything every day as you go along. And, and again, this is the game of inches thing. Uh, and it comes through, you know, everybody I spoke to 
uh, over the last three years that I've interviewed, and, and there's now well over 100 people, they've all got the same hankering just to constantly learn how to do stuff better. Uh, but they're all – they've all got this kind of vision, if you like, of, of where they want to be and what they want to achieve. And, and, but they understand that it's not an overnight thing. You know, it's, it's not, it's not Google or Uber, you know, you don't just have an idea and become a best-selling author overnight. I mean, maybe if you, you know, write the next Harry Potter, but that's few and far between, right? Um, so, you know, we've got to have this, you know, I want to write a book that's going to touch lives, this big ambition, this big purpose, this big dream or whatever that is. And then we need to sort of go, okay, to make that real, uh, I need to work really hard and diligently and get it get it going. And, and if we start where we are and we start small, it's not daunting anymore. We can all take one step. We can all improve a little bit every day. And, and we don't get overwhelmed by this huge, massive vision. But we can still have the big dream. But the way to bring it about is, you know, you've got to build the first floor and you've got to build the second floor until eventually you get to the third floor. And so Simon, as he always does, uh, articulates these concepts so beautifully. Um, and it's, it's, you know, every time I spoke to him this the other week, every time I speak to Simon Reynolds, I, I get off the phone or the Skype or whatever and I'm just touched because he is an insane mind Um that just articulates an inspiring kind of guy. I, shut me up now because I'll go on forever. <laughs> well, we're going to try and track Simon down and get him on the show. We'll say, Nigel said everybody. The reason I'm particularly interested in tracking Simon down is because I'm madly in love with him right before I meet him because he did not uh, fill his house with books. He built an apartment around his books. <laughs> now, what kind of man could you not adore who does that? Yeah, it's, 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 he's an avid reader. Um, so for those who don't know who Simon is, Simon Reynolds was uh, an advertising entrepreneur who back in the 80s, I think it was the 80s, um, as a young guy did the Grim Reaper campaign when AIDS first hit. For, for those of us of this age group, we'd remember it. It was quite controversial. And he was um, the youngest creative director in advertising. He went on to build his own ad agency and sold it. Uh, he then went on to build one of the biggest marketing conglomerates on the planet and sold it on the stock exchange for just an obscene amount of money. Um, and so he knows his stuff. He's, he's, uh, and his Simon is spelt with the two eyes, which is where most people know him from. Um, and he's an avid reader. He's an advocate of constantly learning. And, um, you know, we had this discussion once upon a time. But, yeah, he did literally remodel his house around his bookshelf. It was in the sort of the foundation wall as you walk in the hallway rather than just having a wall. That wall became the bookcase, um, which I just find amazing. But we had this conversation about, you know, the fact that, it, you know, I travel quite a bit. He travels quite a bit. That, you know, we're the sort of people that we get to an airport, we just buy three or four books. We'll come home with a lot more books than we go away with. And, and I think that's important. If you're going to be a writer, you need to write. But you also need to read. You know, we need to find um, – uh, influence. We need to pick up ideas. We need to see uh, the styles and structures of other people, and and so you'll find that that um, you know people who are successful, whether they're writers or otherwise, they're always learning. They never stop learning. They're, they're on you know listening to podcasts like this, or they're 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 reading books, or they're they're talking. They've all got mentors. You know, they've always got someone they can ring up and talk to, um, and go, how do I do this? 
you know, and, and so it's a matter of constantly learning. And it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, when I was young, you know, I did art at school and, and I did, um, I, went to, you know, I went to film school for a while and did screenwriting and I was one of these guys, yeah, I'll just sit in my room and I'll write. And without getting the input, without getting the mentoring, without having someone get online once a week and go, what the hell is this page of tripe? You know, we've got to restructure it. And, and no matter what level you get to, we always, like tennis coaches, you know, tennis players have tennis coaches. Um, whatever level we get to, especially in writing, it's great to have that mentor that you can send, you know, this week's work to um, who will come back and not pat you on the back and go, that's wonderful, you're brilliant, but who will actually guide you and go, look, I love this, but what we need to do is did you think about this? There's a bit of a hole there or you know, why haven't you, why haven't you accomplished your, your word count or whatever that is, you know, we, we need that input and you get it through books. You know, there are mentors in books. I've got, well, I'm sitting right now, you probably can't see it, but I've got a bookshelf that runs around the top of my office and it's full of books and there's mentors in those books. I can go to and be inspired or I can jump online and talk to somebody. Um, and when I was writing my book, I had a mentor, you know, who, who would, as I was writing it, you know, once every fortnight or so, we'd get together every time I finished a chapter and she'd, you know, smack me over the head every so often. And and I've deviated from the reading bit, but, yeah, I think to be a writer, you have to be an avid reader. You have to. Yeah. It's where, that's where all the that's where all the knowledge is. Yeah. Now, everybody, I've got to confess that the last thing I expected when I had Nigel on the show today was to find this passion about writing. I expected <laughs> to get a businessman who was going to give us tips. So sorry, everybody. I think what we have I to do, tips. we have to give him tips on on <laughs> writing. Um, but the thing that I, I'm so very glad that you're talking about uh, with such enthusiasm is that never-ending learning, always learning. You called it the never-ending doctorate in your book mm. uh, and the best source of learning uh, is the people that you meet. And I thought that was pretty exciting uh, considering that you just, as I said, come back from around Australia meeting all these people, uh, talking to them and learning so many different ideas and it broadens your own horizons on how you look at things. What I want to do, and now, look, Nigel, we're at 33 minutes, and I know you wanted to stop at 30. Have I got time for one more ah, thing? Yeah, keep going, because <laughs> I'm happy to talk business. Sorry, I've deviated. <laughs> All right. Uh, one thing, I wanted to talk to you about Rick Ball at Broken Hill. Uh, now, this mm. man just fascinates me. I've sat on the slag heap at the top of the mine at um, Broken Hill. I've looked at Pro Hart's Blue Vase, and um, I've tried to climb over the fence to get an interview with Pro Hart, and he just looked at me really strangely as if to say, get off my fence, woman, and ah. keep walking. But that was quite a number of years ago now. Um, tell us about your friend Rick, because, guys, he's fascinating. Yeah, and, look, he's one of the this – is, this is interesting – Rick Ball gave me one of the best business lessons I've had in my life. Uh, and he's not a businessman. He's an artist. Um, my wife is actually related to him. So I you know, kind of long story short, I got to Broken Hill. My father-in-law rings up and says, I've organised for you to have dinner with Rick Ball. And I'm like, who the hell's Rick Ball? Uh, and I met him and we got on like an absolute house on fire. And for me, he's one of the, the true creative people I, I have ever met because uh, Rick is completely passionate. We talked about why. He's completely passionate and focused on on being creative from a from an, a very internal perspective but not compromising on, you know, when you paint, 
it has to be your work and not the work of somebody else, um, which may seem a bit of a paradox when we're talking about business. But anyway, um, so he lives in Broken Hill. He sells his work all over the planet. If you type in Rick Ball and Google him, you'll see some of his work, and it's absolutely brilliantly beautiful. But he also teaches uh, Indigenous kids art and how to paint at a school, I think about 120 kilometres south of, of Broken Hill. And, and I found that really fascinating. Um, one, how do you actually teach people how to paint in the first place? But secondly, how do you teach kids, Indigenous kids, how to paint? And, and when I asked him, he, he basically went, you don't. Because as soon as you tell them how to do it, it's no longer their work. It's, it's no longer their art. That you know, His whole premise was if he tells them it needs a blue streak across the centre of the, the canvas, for example, then it's his work. It's not their work. Um, which is kind of interesting. So he went on to talk about, you know, it's it's important to teach the method and structure and all of those sort of things, but not to tell them how to do it. And he then drew this analogy, which was the lesson I took of, and it was almost a sense of discovery when he said when he said it. It was quite incredible um, that he is a firekeeper, that it's his job to keep the fire burning, not to not to ignite it just to keep the fire burning, the fire as in their passion, their why, their abilities. And every so often maybe just chuck a blue stick into the fire, but not to tell them how to paint it in blue. And then he drew this analogy, or not an analogy, he then he sort of in this moment said, you know, so my role as a teacher is not to tell them, it's to to draw out, it's to nurture, it's to, um, to allow them to discover and it's a beautiful analogy of business and it's a beautiful analogy of leadership and it's a beautiful analogy of, of writing. Um, and it comes back to the why. You know, why do we do what we do? And I think as – and this comes back to the, the business thing, I guess, trying, trying to loop it around um, <laughs> with the gap. But, you know, if people are going to throw money at you for your work, if, if people are going to want to pay you for what you do, um, you have to be true to yourself but you also have to, to fuel their fire. Um, and my passion for doing a thing will be completely different to someone else's passion, even if it's the same thing. So the reason I will read a book will be the different reason somebody else will read a book. And so what Rick was saying was that, you know, what's important is to, to be true to ourselves with our own creativity and our own art, but to understand that that's going to be a completely different ball game for somebody else. And as a teacher, as a coach, as a mentor, whatever we want to call ourselves, we need to understand that. And in nomadic and indigenous cultures, the person who keeps the fire, one of the roles of society is to keep the fire burning. And that person is very revered within society, in the community, because if the fire goes out, the community suffers. So, you know, Rick's, Rick's analogy of be the firekeeper has stuck with me because – you know, when I'm working, you know, if you want to draw the simple uh, parallel to, you know, when I'm writing, writing, when I was writing the book, because the book in a way I never, I never actually set out to write this book. Right? It kind of found me. I, I went on this journey and I met all these people and I learned all this stuff and I went, wow, look at that. They're all doing similar things. And I thought I should write a book about this. So I didn't actually ever set out to write the book. But when I was writing the book, you know, Rick's words were reverberating because I was thinking, okay, I can either just tell people this stuff or I can try and write it in a way that it, it fuels the fire, that it, it keeps the fire burning for the people who are reading the book in a weird sort of a way. Um, 
it was just a wonderful, wonderful lesson. So from the point of view of being very sincere and true to your creative purpose, but also in the sense of, of getting out of your own selfish perspective and focusing completely on somebody else and how to help them in, increase their, their passion. Beautiful, beautiful tension at play, yeah. Yeah, and I've got to tell tell you that Nigel's book has been very, very successful in that uh, you have the book beside you and there's not a page. It's a book, kind of book that you can pick up and have a flick through and it's got little bits and pieces that you can take um, that will either see you saying, girls, get your own dinner, I'm going to sit down and read for a while, or it will have, <laughs> have you racing off to do one more little thing to your business that takes you another step forward. So, Nigel, you've been very successful there and I loved um, when I read Rick's story and he talked about nurturing, um, leading, encouraging people to, in, um, to pursue their dreams. Uh, I think that's our job as business people mm. and it's our job as authors and it's our job as, I guess, podcasters, as course online course writers, all those kinds of things that move us forward into the business world and take us above and beyond, I guess, and I know this sounds awful, but just being writers, which is a big enough dream in itself to, to get out there. We have such an important role to play. And never more than now, and this is the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, so I'm just going to keep going, um, yep. how to in disrupt your industry one step at a time. Uh, now, that was an article on Inside Small Business. Mm. Um, very, very exciting time for indie authors and very, very exciting time to have Nigel give us permission to push our boundaries, push our creativity, not just in ways of writing but in ways of creating a business model that allows us to be our most creative best. Yeah, so, so um, disruption is one of those words that is bandied around, uh, especially in the business world. And often when we talk about disruption, we, we, we think of uh, iPhones and Ubers and, you know, these big, massive shifts in the world. The fact is, though, um, that to, to disrupt the planet or, or, you know, to do a Mark Zuckerberg and create the next Facebook is insanely rare and incredibly difficult and usually happens by chance. However, that doesn't mean that you can't disrupt uh, and by disruption do something a little bit differently, you know, just change the game a little bit. Um, you know, most disruption, most change, most innovation happens step by step. It's incremental. It's it's not a one-off big explosive kind of moment. Um, and so I think I think we need to disrupt. Uh, and the reason I say that is we, we're very comfortable with with conformity and status quo, you know, especially in, in the business world and especially as writers. Part of our job is to keep ahead of the curve because the world will change with or without us, you know, um, and it has. The publishing model over the last, what, five years even, you know, in the last couple, it has just completely been turned on its head. Um, you know, it's never been easier to self-publish. It's never been easier to find an audience through social media. Um, and, and, you know, so the actual publishing side of, of our, our business world has changed dramatically. So we need to either be reactive to that and, as a result, let it drag us along, kicking and screaming in most cases, or... We can, we can kind of go, all right, well, that model is changing. How do I exploit it? How do I, how do I use the shift to, 
to reach an audience, to, to find my readers. And that can be a very overwhelming prospect. But if we look at it as just incremental steps, if we go, well, you know, what little thing can I do that's going to change the game for me? Over a year or two years or over the next five books that you might write, it will be amazing the distance that you can actually carry. So businesses are very and, – and by business, I don't just mean big enterprise, your Telstra's of this world, but, you know, even micro solo businesses, which is what most writers are um, – you know, I've got – you mentioned Inside Business. I write every month for Inside Small Business. I, I write for a few other publications. But most of the, the readership is through social means. Even though they have a hard print magazine, it's it's a digital format that, that kind of gets leverage. And and so you just kind of go, all right, well, how do I find an audience as a writer? How You know, as a business model, how am I going to actually make money to sustain my writing? And so all we need to do is just tweak what we're doing a little bit. You know, maybe maybe Facebook isn't the social medium. Maybe it's Pinterest or maybe it's somewhere else. And if we just keep making small changes, they're easy. Uh, you know, they're fast. They're, they're not risky. If you make a small change, you can fail and it's easy to correct course. Uh, and at the same time, you can change. Uh, you, you can be disruptive. Because if you're not disruptive, someone's going to come along and disrupt you. Simple as that, right? And I think we get scared about disruption because we think, oh, it's too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but this is where the philosophy of Game of Inches comes about. And and you can. And you see it in business all the time. You know, if you look at someone like uh, uh, McGrath Real Estate, you know, McGrath has been successful by his own admission of constantly doing little things better than everybody else, constantly sitting, okay, how am I going to, how could I improve my writing style to make it, you know, uh, leverage it massively for my audience? How can, I, how can I find a publishing model that's going to, you know, generate more income for me without having to reinvent publishing? How, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to alter uh, you know, my audience slightly? How do I find what my audience really wants? You know, how do I – so there's all these little things that you can – just little tweaks here and there that can actually end up making a really big difference and ultimately could disrupt the industry but certainly would disrupt their own businesses in a very, very positive way. And hopefully, you know, I kind of think that as writers we have a responsibility to sometimes put a rocket up people. We are reflective of the world. Um, you know, but we don't have to go out there guns blazing. If we do, if we're too radical, people won't, they get scared. You know, we like comfort. Uh, we, we like certainty. And so if we're going to change things, we just do it a little bit. Much easier to do and it's also easier to, to digest. Yeah. So uh, disruption is important, but we don't have to go guns blazing because seriously, it's too hard, it's too risky, it's too costly and, and, and it's, it's rare. And as Simon Reynolds said to me, you know, even when we disrupt, we have to constantly improve the disruption. It's those incremental steps. So disrupt incrementally, so much easier, so much more effective too. Yeah, and and as you said, you sleep better at night. Uh, two things. Uh, one thing you've said is the one time I didn't follow my instinct, it bit me on the <laughs> bum. Um, mm. Now that ties in very nicely with what we were just saying. We test, we prod, we poke, uh, and we just see what works. And your instinct's a fairly good guide on that, isn't it? It's okay to try things. Oh, look, you have to try it. How do you know something's going to work unless you try it? 
how do you know if the story's going to cut? You know, how do you know if that character's going to fit or whatever? Um, yeah, so what I meant by that, so there's, a, you know, I now run my business life on these four steps, and they're not steps that I created. This is what I actually saw and observed from all these people. And I kind of think, well, if everyone else is doing it and they're successful at it, well, then that's what I should do. It's a bit of a no-brainer. And the first one is to find a gap. So what that basically means is, you know, what is it that people want? What do they want to read? What are they going to be interested in publishing? What are they going to be interested in reading? Then you've actually got to do it. So you've got to, you've actually got to implement it. You've got to write it, for example. And so, so in business, the world of business is full of ideas that don't, don't have a place in the world because they didn't find a gap. People, people have ideas before they think about what is the idea addressing, what's the problem, what's the challenge, what's the need, what is it the readers want to read. But once we found that, we figured that out, then we need to write it. But as we're writing or as we're creating something, we need to test whether or not what we are doing is actually what the audience wants what our readers are going to like, um, is is what we think our readers want to read just an assumption on our part or is it actually what they want to read? So you've got to test it as you go. And to put this into very practical terms, you know, when we're writing game, and I say we because, you know, it's a team effort with all the people around you, but when, when we're writing Game of Inches, you know, I'd, come up, I'd sit around and go, oh, that's a, that's a nice analogy. And I'd write a blog and I'd post it on Facebook or wherever it was and, you'd observe comments or how many people shared it or whatever. And if, if, you know, quite a few people, we're not talking thousands, but if you've got a few shares here and some likes or someone said you a little note going, oh, that's pretty cool, you go, oh, that's all right, we're on to something. That sticks. Sometimes you'd talk about a concept, you'd ring up your publisher, your editor, for example, and go, hey, what do you think of this? And they'd go, oh, like what you said yesterday. So you're constantly testing. You're constantly testing. And and when I – when I um, approached the publisher for Game of Inches, I actually sent them three pretty polished chapters. And, and the idea behind it was, you know, it's one thing to send a concept, but I also wanted to send, well, this is what it's actually going to be like. And in a way, that was testing it because if they came back and went, your writing style is rubbish, then I, then I could change it without having to rewrite the entire book. So... Um, yeah, we need to constantly be testing because how do you know if something's working unless you test it? And most people will test at the end of the process. They'll write the entire book and then they'll see if people like it. Well, you don't do that. Write a chapter or two, have a chat with some people, put it out there in blogs in short form and see what sort of noise you create. And if people are biting and they're loving it, then, hey, you're onto something. But if you're not getting any feedback that you like, you've got to be brave enough to go, well, that's a bit of a dog in the water. We'll find another angle doesn't mean you're going to uh, totally compromise on what you think is right or what your story is. What it does mean, though, is that you're prepared to tweak it and listen to your readership. And, and I don't know, at arts, when I did art at school, I was always taught that art is a two-way street. It's half what the artist puts on the, on the, the canvas and the other half is what someone sees. And I believe it to be the same with writing. I don't know if I answered the question or went off on a big journey. I'm just, anyway. I'm just, I'm just loving listening to you because I think I found a passionate writer here. Um, as I said, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect to find this passion in you. And I want to ask you what's next for you. But yeah, oh, okay. Let's ask what's next for you. What's next for you, Nigel? Um, so in, in the in the um, couple of things, uh, I'm looking at how I can transfer Game of Inches onto an online, um, not, not to read it online, you can do that anyway, um, but how do you actually take the, the lessons and the case studies and the stories from Game of Inches and, and 
put them into sort of a, an almost a university online kind of course that will actually, if someone's starting a business, you know, they can work through it and actually apply their business model to it as they go through. So it's not just transferring the book into that medium because, one, well, I can't do that anyway. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to – it's more of a consulting moment, I suppose. But the other thing is I'm working on on the next book, which will be called at this point of time – so I don't know if I can say this – but the next book will be all be about um, – you know, finding those gaps. How do you actually listen to your audience? How do you, how do you, how do you find the thing that's going to to make the difference? Um, so it's not so much the process; it's that initial trigger of I've got a great idea, but that great idea has come from some inspiration, the market or the readership or whatever has told me. So it's I'm really going to zone in on chapter one. Yeah. If you've um, read the book, if you haven't read the book, you're going to have to go buy it. So you know, look, it's all, about. I put sticky notes. Look, see, Nigel, look, you're all sticky noted here. I'm, I'm a very good little oh, wow. studier. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I told you it was my Bible. I, I've just picked up very quickly there. Nigel was, he said, an online university course. I am absolutely convinced that the way of the future, and I'm um, putting all my bickies in this barrel, of um, the new way of learning is on short courses online gathering your information as you need it and using it i'm convinced the old school model is dead in the water and that's the gap that i'm exploring with my young writers are uh, you putting your uh, game of inches up there in a way that people can use it is far more productive nowadays for all the young entrepreneurs that are coming through and they're out there because um, anything if i put the word in entrepreneur in anything on instagram it just gets swamped um, people want to be able to go it alone they want to test their ideas they want to make a go and quite frankly i don't think they care if they fail because they'll just pick themselves up dust themselves off and go again and i think it's a wonderful thing to see young people being so very very brave yeah look and i i, I think so um but they need a bit of guidance, you know. I'm an old boy and I still need guidance. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you're right. I think education is going online, but I think it, there needs to be a blend of of that personal face-to-face mentorship, you know, because you need to have that conversation. You can do that online now. Um, there needs to be the modules that you can kind of um, go, oh, I'm not sure about this step, and you can go in and, and there's explanations and templates and and it actually helps guide you through the process. So it's it's not replicating a book as such because I think books are invaluable and and the book is a, is not just a starting point, but as you said, you, you put dog ears all through it or, you know, post-it notes, which is very flattering and it's actually – I'm quite touched by that because it means the book is doing what I wanted it to do. You know, it is it is almost a Bible in its own – shape or form you can actually take the game of inches as a book and work through it and you i know that if you did everything in that book you'd be pretty safe um because it's what hundreds of people have done um but at the same sometimes you just need that extra face-to-face kind of mentoring if you like and and you know it's hard to to do that live and personally but you can do that through through a virtual means um so I, so that's kind of what i meant um i think it would be I think it'd be wrong just to take a book and to break it into little videos and shove it up on a computer because it loses 
Okay. The essence. And you can't smell it. Are you into smelling bull? Um, you know, you can't. <laughs> we talk about it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> got a yeah. good book. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and a blatant plug here, everybody, for my online teenage um, story swingers course that I'm launching this weekend. Mm. I'm there as a mentor, Facebook Live every every weekend for your teenagers. Uh, we have Skype interviews. We have uh, modules inside the course. But having someone there to guide you and bring you out the other end and, and again, to do that disruptive thing, everybody, and what we're encouraging our kids to do is to collaborate, get their ideas together, publish in new forms, put it out there. If it doesn't work, come back, try again and go again. Building that community where it's safe to test out your ideas. Um, Nigel has just given us permission to do that. He's just told me that my course is going to be wonderful without seeing it, so I'll get his endorsement at the end of it. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, I want to end because I've taken up a whole hour of his time now but I adore him uh, I want to finish Nigel with our bike riding story two men on a bike toodling along off into the outback up around um, the Northern mm. Territory there and they had a dream they followed a dream but even they who jumped on their bikes to do this massive trip discovered that they were piddling compared to what someone else was doing. Would you like to share that story as a nice rounding off of that yeah, beautiful conversation? Yeah, the, these, this is the moment, you know, this is the most inspiring people I've ever met. This is bad English. Um, so I was riding along on my motorbike in the middle of the desert and I came across two guys pedaling push bikes with sort of trolleys on the back with their tents and stuff. And they basically had this idea. They just liked long-distance riding and they rode from Port Augusta up to Alice Springs via Unadatta, which is like, way off the beaten track. As one does. As one does. And um, there's a couple of things in there, but but I remember Dennis was was one of their names. He was 75 years old. And, and I remember saying to him, why are you doing this? Is it you raising money for charity or what? And he went, no, nah, no, we just love bike riding, so we thought it would be a good idea, which for me just exemplifies that whole notion of just do it, just take action, you know. And when I now get to a decision point, will I do that? Will that, you know, will they read this blog or will I test it or whatever? I just go, yeah, what would Dennis do? 